He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm captured listening to that gospel that we just heard um, at the image it presents at the very beginning when it says very matter-of-factly, as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue and stood up to read. And this picture of Jesus, the churchgoer, before he was publicly known, his identity never changed. He was always the Son of God, always appointed Messiah before all time. But before he was known to be that, he was first, you know, the Joseph's son, the carpenter, and like a faithful Jew, he went to synagogue, which is really, you could also translate that word church, um, the gathered people of God. And as was his custom, he was a lector, just like we have lectors, and he's handed a specific scroll to be read on that particular day. He's ministering out of the lectionary, and um, he's blessing the synagogue. And in a way, we can see his ministry before he sort of the um, the epiphany of the, his baptism, when the Holy Spirit Himself proclaims him to the world as the chosen Messiah. In a way, his ministry is like that of a better Ezra, as we just heard in Nehemiah, just making plain the scriptures. We know that when Jesus was a boy, it's the one anecdote we get from his boyhood recorded in the scriptures. Um, when he's in the temple, and the teachers in the temple are astounded at his learning and his knowledge and his questions. Um, and they're sitting around listening to his teaching. So we know for sure that when he read the scriptures, which would often come with this uh, interpretation and explanation of its meaning, that it would have been profound. It would have been wonderful. Think about Jesus. Uh, Only those who, their local church was Nazareth synagogue, got to hear his teaching. But it would have had this very interesting flavor in that he would have been unpacking the true meaning of the scriptures like never before, because he himself, you know, he's getting the, the people of the synagogue of Nazareth are getting the author's interpretation. But he's not yet connecting the dots as to that it applies to him. For all those years, think about it. He would have, we know that they read the Torah, the first five books of the law, on a lectionary in the synagogue. So he would have been reading these prophecies about the Messiah. We, you know, lately heard in our Christian education on Sunday nights, Genesis 3 and this promised offspring, that he would have interpreted that as about the Messiah, but wouldn't have made public, oh, and that's me. What a marvelous secret he kept for all those years until his ministry began with the anointing of John the Baptist, with the trial in the wilderness and the first miracle at Canaan Galilee, which we heard about last Sunday. So after that, he goes to his hometown. Um, he's fulfilling his ministry as lector and explainer of the scriptures, Um, But now the lid can come off. He doesn't have to keep veiled his true identity. Um, He reads from the scriptures, and he must have read it in a way, together with the sort of buzz that must have been early gathering around what happened when he was baptized by John. What did John say about him? What happened at that wedding? And Jesus was there? You know, these people connecting the dots. And he reads the scripture, and he says, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. The lid comes off. All of the prophecies that are there in the Old Testament, he says, this is about him. He's finally revealing to us who he is in his mission as the anointed Messiah. And what he does then is he makes present the promises on the page of the Old Covenant. All of the interpreters of the Bible before, even Ezra, the great interpreter, was just still 
fundamentally doing a librarian's work to say, here's the meaning of this thing on the page over here. Jesus takes it and says, here it is now for you to receive in your life, existentially relating to himself as the Messiah. Not just the prophecy in Isaiah, but there's this wonderful scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul writes, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus pinned the tail on the donkey, as it were, with Isaiah 61 or 62. I think it's Isaiah 61 when he read it and said, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. But all of the promises of the Messiah find their yes in him. It's the same thing with us now as we read the scriptures. We're not just reading something once upon a time. Because Jesus is alive, he continues to speak this word to us when we read the scriptures. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing by Jesus. So from here, Jesus commences the three-year ministry that we see recorded in the Gospels. Um, And we see him fulfill uh, very concretely these promises prophesied about him by Isaiah. Right? Setting the oppressed free, specifically the demon oppressed. He's constantly casting out demons, opening the eyes of the blind, which he did literally on a, a couple occasions, and restoring people to their sight, ministering the gospel to the poor. Those three years of ministry, in these concrete moments when Jesus fulfilled at the level of the letter these prophecies of Isaiah, um, that's not the end of his fulfillment of those promises. Every action that Jesus does in his mortal ministry is emblematic. It's a picture of how he ministers to us eternally from his throne in heaven. The prophecy isn't Jesus will open the eyes of a couple blind people. Right? He will open the eyes of the blind. Not just he will, he will set free a few oppressed people. He will set free the oppressed. And all of the figures in the Gospels of people that Jesus ministers to There's so many pictures of the state that we are truly in spiritually. Enslaved by sin. Captive. And then the habits that sins form, our own sins and the sins of others, and the sort of the broken habits that we feel enchained within. He has come to set us free from them, from sin. We who are blind, unable to see what is invisible, right? The God in himself. He has opened our spiritual eyes to understand him. This ministry of opening the eyes of the blind, of setting the captive free, this is the ministry Jesus still does and ministers to everyone, actually the entire earth, every human that he made in their mother's womb. He ministers this ministry too, and for those who would receive it. And um, his ministry is framed in this passage in Luke as rooted in a ministry of proclamation, right? He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And I think this is an important detail. It's not just he came to set the captives free, although it does say that a few verses later. He said to proclaim liberty to the captives. When you have sufficient authority, and Jesus has sufficient authority, when you proclaim something it affects it. And we we know this even from examples of human speech. When Abraham Lincoln says, I proclaim 
all those in America as emancipated, they are emancipated, right? And now some people would contest it, but they were emancipated, and in fact, um, that was affected. Or when, on those of you who are married, on your wedding day, when you say, um, I will have you forever, well, now you're stuck with that person, right? Your words affect what, you, what they say, what they proclaim. So Jesus has proclaimed that we are now free. We are no longer captive. Whereas sin had us shackled into habits of more sin and the fate of death and after that hell, Jesus says, you're free. You're free from that now. And he affected that by his proclamation of the gospel, which he then sealed that covenant with his own blood when he shed it for us, when he died for each of us on the cross. So we've been proclaimed free but why don't we fully experience that freedom yet from our sins? A, a picture came to mind as I was thinking on this gospel. Growing up in high school years, we had a dog uh, named Duchess, who was a 105-pound uh, Labrador retriever mix. Um, not someone like uh, Miller, who, the Lewis dog, whom I love. Um, and uh, we loved Duchess a lot. We played with her a ton, and, and we... Um, at our house, we had a double door, like a main door and a screen door. And so Duchess knew when we let her out, we'd open the door and she'd wait for us to open the screen door and she'd run out and play in the yard or do a business or whatever and come back in. Um, we humans got sick of this screen door because it was hinged the wrong way and it was just always a fiddle. So we took it off uh, one day. I think I was like a junior in high school. And it was really interesting. The next time, that, mo- that mo- next morning when we went to let Duchess out, we opened the front door. And we're like, okay, Duchess. And she wouldn't go because she's so habituated to the screen door. I'm like, no, Duchess, there's no screen door. And we tried to show her. We're like walking across the threshold like this, like putting our hand, like, look, Duchess, there's, there's no door. And she wouldn't go. She just sat there. She's like, no. Nah. You know, we had pre- declared her to be free, but she was not acting like she was free. So we actually had to, the first time, pick her up, carry her across the threshold. And she was kind of wiggling like this, set her down. And then she realizes, oh, there is no door there, no screen door. Um, I'm free to go. And, you know, of course, then she learned and, and it was fine. Um, but uh, that picture of dear Duchess, um, <coughs> unwilling to live into the freedom that, we're, that we've proclaimed. You, you can go outside. There's no door there anymore. Um, seems like a picture of our spiritual state. Um, there's so many ways we, I find myself and I, I imagine that these are familiar patterns to you too, living as if we are not actually free, right? either through um, compulsive habit of sin, like sort of just returning like a dog to its vomit to past sins, um, or in minimizing sin and sort of saying, oh, well, you know, it's not so bad, right? rather than saying, no, it's terrible, it costs the blood of God. But he forgave me. And kind of bundled into that is often avoiding God, in prayer, I mean, as if sort of like, if I don't look up, he won't see me, right? The way children sometimes play. And it's like, what? Like, why, why am I living as if I'm not reconciled to God the Father? He's proclaimed me reconciled through his Son. And another symptom of this is um, relying on our own virtuous accomplishments. Right? I, I say this about every year because I want to just drill it in because one day we all will come to die and I want to pass this test together. The thing that breaks my heart when I get the privilege of ministering to someone who's dying, and when I ask if they're ready to meet God face to face, and they say, 
oh, yeah, I've been a good person. I want to tear my clothes in half when they say that. No, <laughs> no. That can't be your appeal on Judgment Day when you see Jesus. Your appeal is not the works you've done, it's his mercy. Right? You, it's a thing we've just received. We've, we've merely believed. Right? Repent and believe the gospel that he has proclaimed you free and purchased your freedom with his own life. So don't, don't let me down on the day when you come to die. <laughs> For your own soul's sake. And if I know you, I'm going to be very stern with you on this day if you answer wrongly. The reception of freedom is as easy as believing. Repent and believe the gospel. He has made you free. Believe it. And the double mercy is in the same way we had to pick up Duchess to carry her across the threshold. That's actually his own work in us. The Spirit of God bringing our heart to a place of faith. That's um, uh, a brother in this church mentioned to me a few weeks ago how many things we actually, in the, in the prayer book, when we pray that collect, that prayer at the beginning of every Sunday, we're asking for them. There's things that we might sort of intuitively think, oh, yes, I just need to do that thing. But we're actually asking God to do it for us. God, give us the faith. Right? The Holy Spirit, carry us across the threshold that we could live into the freedom of receiving the gospel. Amen.